This is WCN. The Whole Care Network. You talk. We listen. Content presented on the following podcast is for information purposes only. Views and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent views of the Whole Care Network. Always consult your physician for medical and fitness advice, and always consult your attorney for legal advice. And thank you for listening to the Whole Care Network. I see things a little bit differently than most people, and in all honesty, I am more afraid of not living than I am of dying. We all have our stories, and by sharing them, we can truly show the power of the human spirit. Hello, my name is Jody O'Donnell Ames. Welcome to another episode of Gratitude to Latitude, Stories of Resilience and Hope. It is my true honor to introduce my guest today, Sean Swarner. He is an adventurer author, inspirational speaker, and way, way, way much more. Sean, welcome to my podcast. I just have to say, you know what? I haven't said this before to anyone. You're slacker. <laughs> before we started recording, that's not what you were talking about. You said that you had tears. <laughs> you said you had tears in your eyes from watching the film and, and you're like, wow, that's so amazing. And now that we're going live and recording, you're like, you're such a slacker. I appreciate it. <laughs> a, sl- a slacker. I mean, you know, uh, I feel really good about myself after watching your documentary, True North, and reading up on you. Just a slacker. But, you know, what I need to do is, one of the things I always begin with is a story from your childhood. So I saw your documentary. So I know that you were a pretty ambitious, adventurous, highly motivated child from the get-go, is there a story that you can share with us that really resonates with who you are still? Because I I always say I was this kind of quirky, observant, highly sensitive empath child who was always dreaming and working hard. And I'm still that person today at 56. So I, I wonder if there's a story of your childhood that kind of kicked off that you knew you were going somewhere. The first thing that popped into my mind was, <clears throat> I'm going to say, well, first of all, I was, I was born in a super small town in Willard, Ohio. I mean, we had, I think, maybe 5,000 people in the town. My backyard was a cornfield or a bean field, depending on the season. And for years and years, I've always loved building forts. You know, people would take the chairs and, and back them up back to back so that way you, and you could drape over a towel, uh, a beach towel or blanket. a blanket. Exactly. And that would be like your little solitary confinement. That would be your little safe haven. And I did that for such a long time, but I, I, I took it a little bit further and I, I eventually wanted to build a fort on my own, like outside. And I think I was maybe five or six, six years old, say. So first grade, maybe kindergarten, first grade. And I remember drawing blueprints for an underground fort <laughs> that I wanted to build. You're kidding. I kid you not. 
And between my backyard and the field that I mentioned, like the cornfield, the bean field, there was this, I think, 10-foot strip of land that went for miles. And I thought to myself, well, that's, that's probably the best place to start digging. So I, I got this wild hair and I was like, okay, well, let's, let's start doing it. And, and to start building this crazy fort, the first step was to start digging. So on the side of my house, my, my dad had this shed where he had all these tools and he taught me that there were certain tools for certain situations. So I went over there and I got the shovel. I hoisted it over my shoulder, went back into the backyard and started digging. And all of a sudden I just went, you know, just like the cartoons you see, I, I smacked into something. So I started digging around it and there was this like black pipe that was in my hole. So I kept trying to chop it up. That didn't work. I went back to the shed, you know, went and I found a, a spade shovel, which is made and designed for cutting through roots. So I went back over there and started chopping through there. That didn't work. And I went back to the shed again and uh, my eyes were just kind of going back and forth looking for the right tool. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I could get the crowbar. Well, the crowbar wouldn't work. It'd be like the cartoons, you know, I'd wait, flip wait, wait. over. <laughs> How old are you? You're I'm seven? Six. So let's just say You're I'm, six. I'm in first okay. grade. Okay, okay. Okay, first So grade. everything yeah. I'm carrying on my shoulder, like everything I'm slopping over my shoulder is probably bigger than I am anyhow. So then I'm, I'm looking through these tools and I saw my dad's axe, right? So and where are your parents? So well, I will get to them. We'll get to that <laughs> because they come out. So, not, and I'm not talking like a hatchet, you know, a handheld hatchet. I'm talking like a full proper on, you know, chopping down trees type of axe. So I hoist this thing over my shoulder. I start walking back out to the field again where my hole is. Which weighs more than you. Exactly. It weighs more than you. I, so here's where my parents come in. Because I didn't realize that my dad was inside watching his firstborn son walk back and forth with all these tools. And then he finally saw his little kid walking out there with an axe over his shoulder. And he probably thought to himself, pardon my French, but what the hell is he doing? I should probably get involved. So he right. comes out and I'm about ready to smack through this black tube. And he's like, boy, what are you doing? And I thought he was a trick question. I looked at him, looked at the hole. And, you know, as a little kid, I'm like, I'm, I'm digging a hole. What, what do you think I'm doing, Dad? He's like, what do you think that is? And I had no idea. So he told me to follow his finger. He's like, he pointed down where the, where the tube came from. He's like, what do you see down there? And I kept, I kept going through the, the field. And I, I was like, it's the power plant. And I was getting ready to hack into my city's power source. Oh, so, my goodness. So, as a young child. Even then, I've been adventurous and a little bit crazy. So I think that kind of goes into where we are now. <laughs> that is an incredible story. I'm so grateful you shared it because, you know, one of the things that we as parents think about is honoring who our kids are. And I love the fact that he pointed out and demonstrated instead of coming out and saying, oh my gosh, now what are you into? What are you up, you know, right? But his approach to, this is why. This is why I love the fact that you're curious, you're digging, you're adventurous, you're fascinated, but this is why we don't want to do this. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, he, and, and if you look at it, he saved my life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We wouldn't be having this conversation. So, you know, I joked at the beginning of this conversation saying that you're a slacker. So really what I want to say is you, my friend, are a harbinger of hope. You are a harbinger of hope. Your story is this. You have climbed seven summits. And, and this, the stuff that I'm sharing now isn't really as relevant as what I really want to get to, in all honesty. You have climbed seven summits. You participated in 
the Hawaii Ironman. You have skied North and South Poles. You've done all of this with one lung. You are twice a two-time cancer survivor. And the fact that some of us say, it's cold outside, I don't want to go running, or I don't want to do 200 sit-ups today, or the bank line is too long. You know, some of us have these limitations. And the fact that you have been able to do what you've done brings me to this question. What fuels you? What fuels your determination? That's the first question I have. And congratulations to all of those accolades and accomplishments, but what fuels you? I I, I definitely appreciate that. And I really quickly want to back up to when you said that people back out of the, uh, or they leave the line of the bank because it's too long. I went to the post office yesterday. It was too long. I turned around. Like, nope. (laughs) Slacker. (laughs) Like, I'm not going to there. It's too long. I'll I'll come back at another time. (laughs) So you are human. You know, you are human. Absolutely. Like, like, Like you said, I... I actually, in, in to kind of recap it, I'm the only person in history to climb Everest, the highest mountain on every continent, ski to both the North and South Poles, and complete the Hawaii Ironman. However, I did it. And there's a term for that, correct? The, That's called the... The Seven Summits and the Two Poles is the Explorer's Grand Slam. And I yes. personally, I think it sounds like a Denny's breakfast platter, but I didn't name it. It does. So, <laughs> And, and I, I did it all after you said the like two terminal cancers with one lung. But the only difference between me and anybody else is I have I might have a warmer jacket than you do. I've worked my my mental muscle, and I also tapped into to answer your 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 question you just asked. You know what fuels me? I've tapped into uh, a certain purpose in my life, and I think that purpose gives me passion. And with that passion, I derive meaning. So I think under underlying everything is actually fully knowing what my personal core values are. Because once I know what my core values are, I can utilize those to find my purpose, my passion, and meaning. Powerful and true. So John Haywood once said that nothing is impossible to a willing heart. And you're just telling me that what's important to you in life and that you're willing and able. And I want to share that I'm assuming grateful because there's no looking back. You're looking forward to your mission, your goals, and you're getting it done. Absolutely. I mean, look, look bottom line. Exactly. And, and look, I was once given 14 days to live. I was read my last rites. I was in a medically induced coma for a year of my life. I see things a little bit differently than most people. And in all honesty, I am more afraid of not living than I am of dying. And I really wish people, more people would understand that. You know, it's it, this isn't a, a dress rehearsal that we're going through in life. You know, if if you really want, and I've I've done this numerous times, and I do it numerous times throughout the year. I get a piece of paper, and I lay it horizontally, and I draw a horizontal line across it, and I draw two vertical lines at the end of that horizontal line. And at the left side, I put the four-digit um, year that I was born. I add roughly eighty years to that, and I write down that four-digit uh, number at the end of that line. That's your lifeline. Your lifespan. Exactly. So what have you done in the past? It's your dash, Sean. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's your life dash. So may I ask what you eat for breakfast? Because I'm really curious. <laughs> <laughs> this morning I had... So on Saturday, I made 
a quiche with just a few egg egg yolks, mostly egg whites, and I ate that as leftover for breakfast this morning. Yes, okay. and and some yogurt, but yesterday it was steel cut oats with some cinnamon, honey, and blackberries with with okay. sliced almonds on top. Because you mentioned mindset, and I want to get into that, but I also believe because I am someone who, as I said, I am about. 56, turning 56 in a few days. And oh, happy birthday. Have Thank you. December 25th, actually. So it's a little bit longer than a few days. But I have always thought from, from a young age that body, mind, and spirit go together. Mindset is key and that we are far more capable than we realize. And when we challenge ourselves to by doing things like fasting, and today I will have no sugar, for example, or tomorrow I will have no coffee, or I'm going to cold plunge because I can, right? I have seen with my experience of ALS, people who haven't had food for a decade. So I know that, I know the power of the human spirit. You mentioned mindset. So I think that these two things go together. So what are some of the habits that you have as an individual, both with your eating as well as mindset that, you know, maybe give you that, that edge. That's a great question. And I've done a lot of thinking about this and I'm I'm a keynote speaker. You know, I've, I've spoken on every continent and I've worked with companies like Google and IBM and Merrill Lynch and uh, Unilever. And every time I got done giving a presentation, people will come up and say, oh, that's such a great story. I'd be like, oh, that's great. You know, can I hear your story? Because I get jazzed off of hearing other people's stories. But there'd be a handful of people who took it a little bit further and they would ask, but how did you do it? Because in, in my talks, I, I tell them my first goal was literally to crawl eight feet from the hospital bed to the bathroom and mm. then move on to climbing, you know, to the top of the Mount Everest, the highest point in the world. And then I also take a group up Kilimanjaro every year, which is the highest mountain in Africa, as a fundraiser for a cancer charity. And the average success rate on the mountain is 48%. My groups are at 99%. Wow. Double the average. And and are these, so are these people living with cancer or are the, is this a group of the variety of people and conditions? And anyone can go. What we do is we actually fund a survivor's trip every year. And then it's the responsibility of that survivor to raise funds for next year's survivor, kind of paying it forward. Okay. So anyone can go. And, and I've taken people from 13 to 70 years old. And it, it literally is a life-changing experience. So looking at those two, and this, this is what I'm getting to, is I've sat back for the past year and a half and tried to put that together. Like, how did I do this? Because for me, it, it just came logically. You know, I, I wanted to go uh, crawl to the bathroom. And then from there, I wanted to get back in the water and swim back and forth, just two laps. And then from there, I wanted to go and swim four laps and then six laps, you know, and then add it more and more and more. But And are you, just for our audience, are you just talking about after your surgery and surviving your second bout with cancer and now as a 16-year-old with one lung? Are you referring to your recovery? Correct, correct. So I was, I was just trying to get back to where I was before because I was a competitive swimmer for years and I still have records from you know, like 1988, 1989. And I, I wanted to get back to where I was. And the only way to do that was to understand and focus on the achievement of not wanting to be the best, but wanting to be my best. Not comparing myself to others, but comparing myself to where I was yesterday. 
and where I am today and where I want to be tomorrow. And I think by focusing on that and, and not worrying about what other people thought of me, but worrying more about what I thought of myself, I could, again, utilize my personal core values to focus on what I wanted to accomplish. So let's, let's say I wanted to, now that I'm older, let's say I want to buy a house or get a new car. That stuff, those tangible items, that doesn't make me happy. It's what, the, it's what it represents. I, I was working with a guy coaching him. He wanted to double his salary. And he said, oh, when I make, you know, say $150,000, I'm going to be happy. Like, well, when you make $150,000, you're going to choose happiness. And he's like, absolutely. Like, well, if it's a choice, why don't you choose to be happy now? So looking back at what I've done and putting it into like a, a, a linear progression I first understood that where I wanted to go isn't who I am now. And if I wanted to change who I was, I had to change what I did. Because human beings are creatures of habit. And if you change one small thing, don't, I mean, there, there, are, there are programs out there that ask you to change, you know, 9,000 things a day. You get overwhelmed, you, you throw the book out the window and you, you say a, a few choice four-letter words and, and you start over back to where you were from day one. Pick one thing today. One. Pick one thing today that'll make your life easier and better and closer to where you want to become. Because who you are in the future, if you're trying to improve yourself, isn't who you are now. Who is that person in the future? And what is one core value that person has adapted to become who you want to become in the future? And that's what I've done over the years is look at that as a linear progress going from step one to step two to step three. It's the same thing as climbing Mount Everest or Kilimanjaro. You don't just go boom from the base camp whoop, to the summit. You literally do it one step at a time. People need to have patience and understand that what you do now is has a cumulative effect and you get that summit fever and you're like, oh my God, I'm almost there. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And then you get closer and closer and closer to your goal with that emotional attachment to what it means to you, not the thing. Such great advice. And I think two things. One, patience. This is a culture more and more that wants immediate gratification. Immediate. When you graduate from college, you want things. I mean, I'm being quoted in Newsweek this week. It's interesting for my response to how to save money because I've I ran a nonprofit for so many years and never took a salary. So I don't have a lot of money. And it was buy used clothing, right? Everybody wants to, you know, they see a see something and they're like, I need that. So I think I, I really appreciate that perspective that. Know your core values and know really the why. Like, why do you want to make $150,000 a year? So what are your core values? Oh, it's funny you ask because every morning I actually have a journal. I, I put together a program for myself <laughs> to take my own program. To... Now, is, is, is this part of your coaching? It, it is. You can actually, um, I think it's thebighillchallenge.com. You know, all the information's there. But I, because I couldn't find what I wanted, I developed my own, I made my own journal where there's, there's a core values assessment at the beginning of the journal and I do it every three weeks to see where I've improved. So some of my core values, authenticity, communication, compassion, consistency, family, fitness, happiness, meaningful work, success, and community. Wow, those are mine. <laughs> they're, they're, they're phenomenal ones to live by. And then if you can actually rate how you're living that value, not just what it is, but how you're actually rating that, that value on a scale of one to 10, you can see now where you want to improve. 
So for me, this was a while ago, consistency. This was, you know, I rated myself on a scale of one to 10, a five out of 10. Now I know exactly where I want to start focusing my and my energy and attention. You know, mm-hmm. fitness. This was right after I came back from Kilimanjaro in August. And I didn't do anything for a month. It was at a three. Like, okay, well, what do I want to do to become happy? I need to put together a workout program. I need to get back outside. I need to start exercising again. Uh, you know, the consistency. I need to stick to it. So once you have those values and once you you understand how you're actually living them, being truthful to yourself is taking that proverbial look in the mirror and being honest with yourself, which is not easy to do. Self-evaluation. Exactly. But once you understand where you are, you can start feeding into that and go where you want to go. So it's kind of like, you know, I said, those are my core values. Most people want to be well. They want to have a vision. They want to have goals. They want to have family time. They want to feel productive, feel valued. These are, generally speaking, some of our consistent core values. But taking kind of an inventory. And I think the challenge of those is that it takes time to do that. So for example, I might have, and it takes balance. I might have more family time in December but then I might have less time to work out. You know, some days I work out an hour a day, but sometimes I want to work out more. But if I'm having more family time, then maybe I have less time for fitness. Right. So I think balancing those is also a challenge. Absolutely. And also looking at it, because the way my brain works is if you have family as one of your personal core values and fitness as one of your personal core values, and your family's high, but your fitness is low, those actually correlate very well together because if you work out, you're going to be long. You're going to be with your family for longer time. Right. So they, they all interrelate. Yeah, and maybe you can combine them. Absolutely. Go for a hike with your family. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and I don't know why I just thought of this, but you know, a lot of people think to themselves that they want to get in shape. They want to work out. They want to become healthy. And they look at themselves in the mirror and they think, Oh my God, I I I just don't like what I'm looking at. Turn it around because a lot of people look at things from my perspective from a, the, the wrong place. Like, oh, I, I need to work out because I hate my body. No, you work out because you love your body. You know it's good for you. If you switch that, if, if you make that transition from negative to, negative to positive, you're going to stick to it. It's amazing. So uh, the, our audience can't see our video, but I'm answering, <laughs> I'm finishing your sentences because we are so like-minded. I love this conversation, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's just such an honor. So you mentioned your foundation and it's Cancer Climbing. Is that correct? The, the Cancer Climber Association. Cancer Climber Association. How did you, when did you form that? And is this annual climb the way it's funded for the most part? It, it is. It was funded in 2001 by my brother and I. And then we've just taken people. I've, I've been up Kilimanjaro now and led groups up there 21 times. And we've, we've I want to say we've, we've flown under the IRS radar because we've raised under a certain number of dollars every year. And that's fantastic. And I have no problem with that because we're not trying to change the world by helping a million people. We're trying to help uh, a million people by changing one person's life. And by, by taking... It's the ripple effect. Exactly. It, 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 exactly. It, it kind of goes back to that, uh, that story of uh, you know, an old man and a kid walking on the beach and the kid's throwing back the, uh, the starfish. 
and there are millions of starfish on there. And the guy walks up and he sees his kid throwing a starfish in the ocean, starfish in the ocean. And the old man walks up and says, you're never going to save all those lives. What does it matter? And he picks up the starfish. He goes, it matters to this one. Yes, it does. That's kind of what we're doing. And we've done it every August uh, in this. I'm sorry, every summer. It all depends on people's schedules. But we are doing one in February, if anyone's interested, because we're also turning it into a, I would say, an immersive coaching experience as well. Because a lot of people, when they get there, they think, oh, I'm going to conquer that mountain. When in all honesty, if it's you versus Mother Nature, she's going to kick your butt every single time. I don't care who you are and how strong you are. So you don't conquer the mountain, you conquer yourself. So I'm telling people in February, it'll be our first one. I'm not taking anyone on an expedition. I'm taking you on an inspedition. So taking you more inside, helping you with your personal core values. Seven days on the mountain, four days on the safari in the Serengeti. If people can't make the one in February, we're going to do another one in July. That one will be more focused on the fundraiser for Cancer Climber. Excellent. So when you say the, not ex, expedition, the inspedition, are there... I'm just trying to visualize this. Where do these coaching sessions take place? How are they just before and after an adventure? Is it actually in a facility? It's on the mountain in Africa, on in Kilimanjaro. Okay. So it begins a couple weeks before we leave. I send people the core values assessment. Then we revisit that. Um, when we get there, I do a gear check, say the day before, that evening, we're going to go through and have everyone say their power word. And I give everyone a bracelet where I ask them to fill in the blank. If they're exhausted, which everyone, uh, the summit night, everyone turns into a walking zombie. You know, we leave at midnight, we summit around eight, eight or nine in the morning. And at some point, you start to doubt yourself. So what one word would help you continue forward by filling the blank? I am blank. And on mine, it used to say, I gave it to a friend of mine who just had a stroke, but mine says, I am unstoppable. Some people, I am living, I am conquering, you know, whatever it might be. And each evening on the mountain, we're on the mountain for six nights, seven days. Each evening, we have things that we're going to walk them through. The first one, the first camp is everybody gets there and they always complain. Oh my God, my feet hurt. My back is killing me. I'm so tired. And I just let them go. Get it out. But then I stop and I point at someone like, Jody, now give me five things that happened today for which you're grateful. Switching that mindset. And then in the morning at breakfast, when we're all sitting there, I ask them, okay, well, now focusing on one of your personal core values, how can you better enjoy going from this camp to this camp? And there are also coaching opportunities on the trail itself. And it's immersive because I'm, I'm working on it. I have a friend who's in Canada. He's going to be coming with it. His name's Niall. And it's in-the-moment coaching, which is where, as, as you well know, a lot of transformation happens. Boom, in the moment. And all of a sudden, you get it. And then you come off the mountain. Then we go on the four-day safari. And that's when we unbox everything. And people have that aha moment, like, oh, like, that's fantastic. Do you correlate this with your book? There, There is a lot of information in the book that, well, the second book, because I have one that was published years ago, and then one that just came out called Everest Be- Being Unstoppable, where it helps people utilize vivid visualization to accomplish their goals. And you can get that on mm-hmm. my website anywhere, Amazon, just go to Amazon, probably the cheapest place to get it. Right. So, so SeanSwarner.com is your website. Exactly. Right? Just like Sean Connery and the Warner Brothers, but slapping ass on the front. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. 
And and when did your second book come out? Yeah, uh, just recently, September. September. Yeah, we haven't done really. We haven't really done a big push on it yet. But it's it's a series of seven that's going to be coming out. The first one was Everest being unstoppable. The second one's going to be Kilimanjaro into the self, and then it works on and plays off of the title is the what each one of the seven summits mountains are called. So the next one is Elbrus and then Aconcagua, et cetera. I can see this as a college course. Maybe, yeah. I'm just putting it out there. Life 101. <laughs> no, seriously, your book, the documentary, I mean, I would pitch this to colleges for sure. And then they could bring you in as a speaker as a culmination. Ooh, we'll have to talk offline about that. Let's All talk. Right. Let's talk. Yeah, I started out as a teacher uh, of language arts years ago. And when my husband was diagnosed, I stopped teaching, diagnosed with ALS. I stopped teaching, but I never went back to it. But I'm always thinking mm-hmm. and have one of those bra- brains as well. So 120,000 men are diagnosed with lung cancer annually. Was your, your cancer was Hodgkin's? Is that correct? The first one was Hodgkin's. The second one was Askin's, which was a a small cell tumor on the subpleural lining of my right lung. Okay. And then that lung, the right lung is the one that was removed. Is that correct? Partially. It was never removed, but because of the radiation therapy I had, there's so much scar tissue, there's really no oxygen Mm -hmm. transfer. Okay. So you really and truly are the epitome of this conversation of gratitude to latitude and stories of resilience and hope. As we end our our conversation here, and I'd love to have you have another conversation with you as well. When you are coaching, how do you share, what advice do you give to people to build resilience? And from your documentary, I'm assuming you just tell them to get out there, get outside (laughs) of your comfort zone, man up, but I would love to hear it from you as well. I think with my coaching, a lot of people have come to me asking me, well, what should I do? What are the, what are the answers? You know, how, how do I figure this out? And I, I tell them, I don't have the answers. You know, I don't have all the answers. I just have all the right questions. So I, earlier I mentioned I was a keynote speaker. I don't know if I mentioned I was a quote unquote inspirational speaker, but I tell people I'm an empowering speaker because there's a huge difference between inspiring someone, motivating someone and empowering them. And if you can help someone, let's say a, a child, for example, building that resiliency, you know, they're sitting down trying to figure out a puzzle. If a parent comes in and swoops in and does that for them, the child doesn't learn anything. But if you sit there and you encourage the child, hey, go for it, you can do this, and just kind of constantly feed them with that uh, inspiration, they eventually empower themselves. So with my coaching, I ask people just deeper questions empowering questions where, hey, how do you think this affects your, your future self? Or, you know, what, what's, I mentioned it earlier, what's one thing you can do today that'll change who you are tomorrow for the better? And, and eventually, I, I, I don't lead them, but I think a lot of times looking at it from using an, a, a mountain analogy is a lot of people think leaders need to be upfront and they need to go out boldly where no one's ever been before. But in all honesty, I think a good leader leads from behind because when you're upfront, you can't keep an eye on people. When you're behind, you're encouraging them to go forward on their own. If they stray off the path, I can go up there and kind of push them back on the path without falling off the mountain. 
So I think a good leader leads when it's dangerous, and when when it's not so dangerous, they're they're behind keeping an eye on people. So with facilitating exactly. So with with my coaching, I'm behind them. I'm encouraging them. I'm giving that little that that encouragement, that little pat on the back, like, "Hey, you can do this." I'm the I'm their biggest cheerleader, but I also ask the proper questions to help them figure it out on their own. Because all the questions, all the all the answers that you need are within you. My uh, podcast that was released on Sunday with my friend Neil Baskar is is an engineer, and that's exactly what he shared, especially through meditation, mm-hmm. that all the answers we already have. How about um, for those who are currently battling cancer? It's another type of resilience. Sometimes it's hard to find gratitude in that journey. Any book, quote, or guidance you might have for them as we close out our conversation? Well, selfishly, I'd say my book because I've I've been there. I know what it's like. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and it's it's also interesting you ask that because I have a friend I was talking to yesterday. He's going through treatment, and he has six mouth sores from the, the treatment. He's sixteen hours in bed, and he's telling me that he feels like he's drowning. He he can't get the breath to come back up. He's exhausted, and he's just sinking in the ocean right now. And I told him that it's okay. It's understandable. You don't always have to be positive. Things aren't always rosy. Going through the treatments, there are difficult times, and it's okay. It's okay to feel down. Don't beat yourself up if you're not having a good day. Don't beat yourself up if you're not feeling good. It's fine to express, hey, to your family, whoever's there, just like, look, I'm I'm not having a good day. Just give me my space for a little bit. Communicate. And also, like I said, embrace it. Embrace the fact that you're having a bad day because it makes those good days even better. So when you are having those bad days, yeah, think about the future. Think about what you want to do. do use, utilize vivid visualization and, and those emotional attachments to the end result that I mentioned before. But also understand that it's okay. It's, it's a temporary feeling. It's a temporary state, not a permanent condition. I love that. And I don't want to sound goofy, but I will. I'm just thinking of your documentary, which I highly recommend. And I just got it on Amazon, correct? Correct, yeah, yeah. Is that Amazon Prime? And I'm, I'm looking for the title, so I True. So I apologize. No, no problem. It's called True, True North. North. The Sean True story. North, yeah. that's right. That's right, True North. I have it here. You've shared it with Steve Harvey. You were in CBS Evening News, Today Show, Good Morning America. I want you to submit also to CBS Sunday Morning. That's an amazing show. If you're not familiar with it, you should be on it. But I'd like to I'd like to say that you really are my my human Hercules. Just from everything you shared, your documentary, your drive, your resilience, your down-to-earthness, I feel like you are someone who anyone can relate to. Just you feel like a brother to people, you know, you're just this kind, kind hearted person with core values that matter and authenticity that resonates. I am just so proud of all that you've accomplished. I thank you for sharing the story with us today. Your book is, is that Keep Climbing? The first Keep book? Keep Climbing is the first book. I think you can, I think you can get them all on Amazon. Just, just go to Google. On, and, all on yeah, Amazon. Just Google Sean Swarmer. Your website is seanswarmer.com. Thank you so much for being here with us today. You really are not only an inspirational person, but an empowering person. 
I'm a better person just having heard this story from you firsthand. So thank you. Ah, Jody, that, that really means a lot. Thank you for the opportunity. And also know that, as I said earlier, there's, there's really no difference between me and every, anybody else. So I get my inspiration and empowerment from you as well, because you you give people the opportunity to share their stories and you become a conduit to to hope itself. So thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it's just part of the process of learning and growing together. That's what this podcast is all about. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is WCN. The Whole Care Network. You talk. We listen.